Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I got home last night and I had a package on my doorstep and it was from Green Chef who are my sponsors for this series. I was absolutely blown away with what was inside. Not only did they have the step-by-step recipe cards in there, but they had all the ingredients and as fresh as you can get them. Last night, I cooked the duck in balsamic glaze, which I'd never tried before. These pre-portioned ingredients allowed me to try this new flavour completely risk-free, and I was able to eat the exact right amount of these ingredients. Not only that, but they had tender stem broccoli. How many other food boxes send tender stem broccoli? It was unbelievably delicious, and I can't recommend it enough. Their high-quality, fresh seasonal ingredients just blew me away. And it's allowed me to eat consistently and have a routine whilst eating healthily. So get 40% off your first box and 20% off your next three boxes with the code GREENSTRONG. That's Green Strong for 40% off your first box and 20% off your next three boxes. Hello and welcome to another episode of Headstrong. My name is Louis Strong and I host this podcast. Headstrong is a podcast where I sit down with a number of individuals to talk about their journey through life. And ultimately, I want to learn what the word headstrong means to them. And to me, it means to believe in yourself, to talk about your vulnerabilities and reinforce your self-worth. On today's episode of Headstrong, I am lucky enough to be joined by presenter Sean Welby. Now... Sean has had a very unique upbringing in life, but had a very determined approach to life. And that has led her to such success that we see today. But it hasn't always been plain sailing. As you'll find out from listening to the rest of the podcast, Sean was very, very devoted to succeeding in this specific area and did not have a plan B. I really, really hope you enjoyed this episode of Headstrong. Sean, thank you very much for joining me on Headstrong. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Very good. Fantastic news. So you are 
as everyone knows, you are kind of immersed in this showbiz world, the British showbiz world, all sorts of radio, TV, uh, and you've been doing it for years now. And I was going through your credits kind of in anticipation of the podcast and, and meeting you. And I have to start somewhere. So I'm going to rewind all the way to the beginning to when you were a little kid. Because I okay. want to talk about how this came about. Because you are fun, charismatic, outgoing, bubbly. Has that always been the case? No, it's so weird. I was actually quite a shy kid who would cry if someone at primary school said, do you want to come to my house for dinner? And I'd be like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> and I refused to go to any clubs. I didn't join the brownies. I was like, I like doing my own thing. I had a sister that was um, a year and a half older than me. So, oh, sorry, younger. So me and her were like thick as thieves. And all I wanted was to hang around with her. I didn't like mingling with new people. Yeah, I was a shy kid. You would have got on well if lockdown happened then, then I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it was great. <laughs> so when did you come out of your shell then? What, what was the kind of the catalyst that made that happen? I think it was when a mate of mine, it was like secondary school now, and a friend of mine said, oh, there's a little theatre. I realised I like drama, and I never liked performing in front of anyone I knew, but as long as no one in the audience knew me, I was loving it. And I remember a mate of mine said, oh, there's a little theatre club in a village down the road. Do you want to come with me? And I would have, this is one of those things where I would have never come up with that idea off my own back I wouldn't have known about it and I would have never joined it without this girl saying do you want to come and that was the start really I absolutely like loved it and this little theatre group was called the Robin Hood Theatre Group and it was in this tiny village called Aram in the middle of nowhere and we put on like shows all year round and that's where I got it from I think Naturally near Nottingham, obviously, for, yeah. for the rogue listener that wasn't aware of that. <laughs> um, yeah. So did you feel then going off that then that this kind of creative side of it was ignored in education itself then? Because you were seeking this outside of school, outside of things. Were you allowed to explore this creatively at school or not really? We did have a really good drama department and my teachers were really nice. And I remember when I started um it was funny, when I started doing drama at school, I always remember the teacher pulling me to one side one day and saying, Sean, I just really thought you'd always want to play the princess and Cinderella and the whatever. And he said, the minute you asked to play the ugly sister and the wicked witch, it was like, I knew that we were going to get on. And so I started really enjoying being like funny characters and getting the laughs and doing the, almost having the smallest part and trying my best to make it a main part. And so I do, I do think my school was good. It's called the Minster, the South Minster. Um, now that school is like unreal. It's like a high school. But when I was there, it was like those caravans. I don't know if anyone had this at school where there was porter cabins everywhere. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, oh. I'm in that era of the porter cabin and, <laughs> <laughs> and the school's like falling apart. But you know what? we did I, have a good drama department. I remember porter cabins and you just think these are meant to be temporary and they were literally at the school longer than I was at the school. What's that oh. about? Most of my classes ended up in a porter cabin. And they were freezing. Freezing. And they had those, like, one radiator that was boiling hot. And if you were sat <laughs> next to it, you were fine. Everyone else was shivering. Yes, I remember yeah. it so well. Oh, but, I used to, yeah. but, yeah, but, like, I don't know. No, go on. No, no, no. I was, just, I was just thinking about my lessons back then. Oh, we used to take the mick out of this teacher so bad. But that's another podcast. Um, 
Do you reflect well on time at school then? Was it an enjoyable time for you? Yeah, I had a good school, really. Like, it was a good bunch of people. I had a nice mixed group of lads and girls, and we all gave as good as we got. And uh, I feel very lucky in that way. Like, we had such a laugh. But to answer your question earlier, because I was just thinking about this, I, when it came to actually deciding that I wanted to do maybe acting for a living, my school was useless. It was basically like, we don't know what to do with you, freak. Off you go. Because everyone else was doing those career days and uni things and um, oh, whatever it was called when you tried to apply for unis, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was there going, well, I don't want to apply for any unis. But I literally was left to my own devices. I didn't know what to do. Yeah, that's difficult because they, I guess they don't have any knowledge or experience of it. And it's a similar, similar way for a lot of people getting into the creative industries. Where do you start? Except unless you go to a specialist school like the Brit school or something. The guidance is very difficult, isn't it? Yeah, and I, sort of, I feel quite passionate about it, really. As someone that's come from like a really small town in the East Midlands, it, it's honestly the unknown. You, London feels like... A, a fantasy land where you think to yourself, well, I'd like to get down there, but God knows how I'm going to do it. And I remember like I did try to audition for drama school mm. and I literally couldn't afford to do any more than three auditions because I had to get down there. Sometimes it was a two dayer, So you had to presume you were going to get through day one. So then you had to stay somewhere. The auditions themselves cost 50 quid an audition yeah. and I was skinned. I know it's, fin- it's financially challenging. I, well, that's what I wanted to talk to you about as well, is doing these auditions. Which, which drama schools did you audition for? I, I remember I did Mount View. I think I did Guildford and Guildhall. I think they were the three. And how did they go? Oh, I remember it being so mad. Like one of the auditions, I just remember a woman beating a tambourine and saying, be a tree, and we all had to turn into you. And I thought, this is mental. This is batshit. And, and I remember not really feeling that comfortable at these auditions at all. And I remember having to, you know, even just to get an audition, you had to like audition for an audition. Mm. So you had to do like a, a song, a monologue and whatever to just get in. And then when you were in, you did the actual audition to get to the school. And they were just mad. I remember them just not, you know, if you were partnered, one day I was just partnered with a weak group. And I remember thinking, well, this has blown it. I'm not going to get in now. And it felt just horrific. So you got turned down on those three occasions. And I suppose it was financial as well then. How did you cope with that rejection? Or and yeah. the fact that you didn't get in? What was that like for yourself? It was kind of like, I sort of said to myself, I didn't properly go for it. And I thought, I need to do it properly. I need a better song. Because I remember my song, I remember my song needed a piano for the rhythm. Because it was more of a speaky type one. And then when I got in all the auditions, I found out there was no piano. So I just sounded... You're mental. on American Idol. <laughs> oh, I man. was literally like... No, it was bad. So I remember thinking, I need a better song, better monologue. I, my, my comedy monologue was good, but I didn't like my Shakespeare one. And then I remember thinking, I'll get a job, go back and I'll do like 10 auditions when I've got some money. And you didn't. Because... I never did it. Things went, things went in a different direction. But let's talk, about, um, let's talk about when you were, you were working back in, in a shop. What was that experience like knowing, because you, you've talked about it before where it's kind of like you're do, living this one life over here, but you're kind of wanting this part over there. Was it just a matter of kind of manifesting it to yourself and going, this is what I am going to do? 
yeah, there was basically no plan B. It was like, and, and, and no one really knew what the hell I was doing. And the people at um, the clothes shop were so confused. Like they never really had anyone there that was like, yeah, 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 I'm here for a bit, but then I'm going to drama school. And they were all like, yeah, yeah, all right. Next year, I'm still there. Year after, I'm still there. But in my head, I was making little bits of progress and I was doing more and more, um, you know, little presenting jobs, a lot of online stuff, a few little bits for, for telly here and there, nothing massive. But I was getting quite a good show reel of stuff. Mm. So in my mind, as long as I was progressing and I sort of gave myself a target every year to do a slightly better job, a bigger job. Um, but I was stuck in that shop and it was like five years. And I thought, God, when is this cut off? Because if I don't make it soon, and in my mind, making it was just getting that break to do it full time of some sort. I thought, well, what am I going to do? Because I don't want to, you know, I'd never planned to work in a shop. so. It was like a do or die. And I'll never forget. I got like, it was the Chinese New Year and it was 2010. Yeah. And I remember going to a little Chinese shop, like I went to a Chinese restaurant and they gave me this calendar and they, and they, and it was my year, weirdly. It was the year of the tiger, I think I am. <laughs> and, uh, it was just so, it's just like, it's just like a, a movie moment where it's like, and then the calendar said it all. But I was, <laughs> I realized it was my year. So I thought, right, this is a sign. If I don't make it by the end of 2010, I'm going to jack it all in and, and start focusing on a proper job. Um, and by fluke, by that November, I'd got a job as a weather girl. Happy days. Yeah, weird. So were you doing all of this without an agent then, doing all these small bits and bobs unsigned? How yeah, was that then? It's just like a hard graft, isn't it? Yeah, it was at the time you could join websites where you'd upload a picture and a bit about you and then eventually a video and you just, it was like a sort of, for actors, they have that book, don't they, called Spotlight and it was yeah. similar. In fact, in fact, there was an online version of Spotlight, which I think was called Star Now or something. And you would just have your profile up there and you just apply, apply, apply. And I was lucky that I got quite a few jobs through it. Um, and yeah, it basically, I then went on a mission to try and I thought, this is what I need now, an agent. And I saw on Facebook a competition to get management for a year. And so that was then my new focus. And I came down to London and I made like this video and basically whoever got the most likes won the competition. What did you do then? Did you make a video? Yeah, I made this video in, in Soho Square. And it was so weird looking back. I just went around poking strangers. <laughs> Cause it was... That has not aged well. <laughs> no, it has not aged well. And basically, it was back in the day. I mean, many years ago, if, if any TikTokers are listening to this, they won't know what this was. But on Facebook, you could poke people, couldn't you, to get their attention? <laughs> yeah. So it was an it was an in life Facebook poke. That was my whole concept, and it seemed to work. Did you get it? Yeah, you won it. Back of that, well, I, I I actually can't remember whether it was tied, but I remember getting to the final three, and my you know it had so many likes on Facebook, and people kept sharing it. Um, mostly my mates and people's my mates' mums going mental all night, all day, sharing it, sharing it, sharing it, because everyone was now at this point like Sean has got to make it. So when I say it didn't go viral in the sense of, wow, the video is so good. It was more that 
I had a select few of amazing family friends and mates, mums who went possessive with it and obsessed and they just spent all day and all night getting likes. I love that. That's, that's good. It's nice to have that little support network behind you. Now, we, you said there, yes, Channel 5, weather. There we go. Where did the ideas come from? Or was it just like, I'm just going to give it a go for all the comedy and the banter? Because it's so expertly done. I like Because I remember when it happened and then I rewatched it, like prepping for this. And I'm like, you just, I, I, I would have probably corpsed. You know, <laughs> yeah. like the Star Wars one, you got, oh, you got so many in. Honestly, it became, the thing was, I'd been doing it for ages, but just between me and the crew. Just because, on, the, on the down low. Yeah, because like, but like, in all honesty, when I got that weather job, it was my break, but it was like a mixed emotion of going, what, weather? I, I'm not even good at geography. Like I did it at GCSE and didn't do it any further. No, I didn't do it past year nine because so, I hated my teacher. So I'm terrible with place names. I was awful at geography. I knew nothing about weather. So when I got that job, I thought, oh my God, how am I going to do it? So once I'd learned the basics and how to actually present the weather, I then decided I had to make it fun for me because I'm not into it. And, you know, it's no disrespect because actually most weather people are absolutely obsessed. And that is their, it's their absolute joy is getting the set, you know, the, um, the temperature right to the nearest point of a centigrade and that's where they get a kick and, and I think most weather people get into it because they love it so I felt like a fraud because I was doing it but I didn't really care so I just tried to make it funny and I started doing these dares and sneaking it started with sneaking words in then sneaking song lyrics then it became those puns and that Star Wars one I suppose was just the one that because I put it out at the right time stars aligned it just was the one that got attention so did you see that job more as an opportunity then for furthering stuff like obviously it was still fun and it was beneficial as well to learn a little bit about the weather but yeah so that was like a a kind of a leapfrog moment i guess or what yeah def- definitely and this is why um you know this is what i say to some people that you know they meet you when you're actually finally doing the job you love and they just think you walked into it and I always say that along the way, you're going to do the strangest jobs that you just don't get why on earth you've got them and, and they feel pointless or they don't feel right. But they're always the job that gets you to the next one, to the next one. So for me, it was like, this is getting me on telly. It's, it's giving me experience. It's giving me hours of practice and making my memory amazing because it was all memorized. And so I just saw it all as a stepping stone. And then everything else, I was trying to do so much other work outside of the weather because I was done at midday so I just kept trying to prove I was a fun like an entertainment person I just wanted to do comedy and fun but the weather was kind of putting me in the wrong box so everything I did outside of that I tried to make light-hearted funny and then I started really doing loads on social media to try and break the mold I guess of yeah. being in that stereotypical weather person kind of role but yeah in, in a way, after that huge success, you were made redundant. Was yep. that completely unexpected? Yeah, it was mad. And how, how, how did that hit you? Because I know obviously there was good news thereafter, but there must have been that initial kind of moment where you were like, what? It's so weird. It's like a whole, it's a blur. Because, I mean, I'll never know <laughs> legally what should have happened. But I, I think I signed 
a year's contract the day before. And then the next day they changed their mind and suddenly the Met Office was providing the weather because it had just lost its contract with the BBC. And suddenly they were like, we'll do it in-house, we'll use our presenters, we'll do it for this price. I don't think Channel 5 could turn it down. So I went from signing another contract to it going. It, it was gone. And I was like, what? But it, I can't even tell you, I didn't have time for that to sink in because that same afternoon I got the call from Hart. So it was so weird. And so I was so all over the place. I didn't really know what was going to happen, but I kind of, again, like trusted the universe with it and thought, yeah. oh, okay, maybe I'm supposed to leave this job. It was so weird. So, so you, weird. You, you didn't even have time to process it then. You weren't already sat at the bar like three gin and tonics deep. <laughs> like in the movies, yeah. asking for another scotch And then you the get rocks. the phone call. Hey, uh, now? You want me now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. I yeah. just jump into the in, into the yellow taxi and, and there I was. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't really that sort of movie star way, but it was surreal. And it did feel like, I, I think I was so ready for change. And, to, and that was another thing where I had done that job for quite a few years. Mm. And I just wanted to get out of it so much. So I don't know. It's weird. I can't really remember the emotions of it all, but it was a whirlwind. Are you somebody that gets itchy feet then? So, or was it more because you weren't in love with the job? A bit of both. Like, yeah, you're right. If I love the job, I'm very happy. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I'm always wanting, there's always a niggle in me going, well, come on, what's another, I need a new challenge. I've got, without sounding cocky, you, you start being terrible and, and mm. so nervous. And, and, you know, I was, I was getting into work at 7am to do weather at half 10 in the morning because I needed so long to prep and I was had to rehearse and rehearse. And it got to the point where I was rocking up five minutes before the forecast and just doing it first take. And once I'd got good at it, I was ready to be bad at something again and, and, and feel those nerves. Yeah, I just, I suppose you like to push the boundaries then. Uh, and what, what's, what's next? And that led you to obviously hosting radio for the first time and it was your own show, right? Now, yeah. what I want to talk about is comparing a show where you're hosting on your own to having that support of other hosts with you. How would you compare the two experiences? In all honesty, heart, learning to do the desk and present on my own for Heart Radio was probably the hardest thing I've done in my life to the point where I'm sure I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. And I can't even, I'm not exaggerating. It was so much to take in. It was like never sitting in a car before and being told to drive and do the roundabouts and the motorway and the reverse park at the same time, um, going through a whole Shakespeare play and sounding natural and timing everything you say to perfection. So it was so many things to think about. I cried so many times thinking, I finally found something that's too difficult for me and I'm never a quitter. And I've always been like quite proud that I will give something a go and get good at it. And I thought, this is too hard. It, it, was, it was horrible. And it was so frightening because one day you're doing, you can't ever properly practice because there's certain things you can do in the studio while it's not on air, but you can't ever do the show properly until it's live because of the way it works, the buttons and everything. And I remember thinking, I've got a three-hour show. What the hell do I talk about? And I honestly wasn't given that much direction. It was like, just be yourself, make it fun, 
um, you know, talk about the artists and, and just be passionate and be funny, but keep it to 46 seconds. And it was, honestly, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And, and every day I was so nervous and I made so many mistakes. And I sounded ridiculous because the second you put those headphones on, the mic's close, you start talking like this. Hello, it's Sean. <laughs> And I, I, I don't, I don't think I could bring myself to listen back to any early shows. It would be disgusting. Did it ever get so overwhelming then that you kind of? I know you're not a quitter, but did you ever think maybe this really is too much for me? And then how did you cope with uh, yeah. this? What was your cope? How, how did you cope with these kind of these feelings? I don't even know. I think it was like I've got to do this. I think I've always because I've never had a plan B. Um, I've got, I've got nothing else if you know what I mean so it was like I've got to get good at it failure wasn't an option because if I haven't got that I've got no job I can't live in London and I've got no other options no connections so it was it was horrible but I just kept doing it and kept doing it and um I had to be fair I had some amazing producers at heart that just talked me through it and kept going over and over it uh, there was a guy called Martin Bruce and we called it Brucey's boot camp. And he was so, he was so strict with you. Like, like if you've seen Whiplash. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So the guy in Whiplash, he's in that drumming film where he just keeps going, not quite my tempo. Do it a bit faster. Do it a bit slower. It was like that until I got it right. Oh, that's great. Can you remember the most, I don't know, nervous day you had on radio or worst day at heart, can you remember where you were just like, this is just going from bad to worse? Yeah, because there's so many things. There's times where, say like songs are playing and when the song is fading, you can literally fade up your microphone. Yeah. You've got control of everything and you can just talk and then you play like a bed of music and then hopefully you hit, you hit the end of your story before it goes, this is hot, and then you're out. So there's a, there's a few buttons there, but the worst was on the hour junctions when you had news, travel, and intro. Like there was pre-recorded bits. There's so many. There's, oh, there's so many things that give me stress dreams now. Thinking about this, I'm like having a cold sweat. So one day, basically, when a song is playing, say if you've got three songs in a row, you can hit it into this automatic mode where it will play the next three songs for you. So you're not having to manually press the song every time. Yeah. But when it comes to that news junction, you have to take it out of that automatic mode or it's just going to play everything at once. And I did that one day, but at the same time also pressed the buttons out of sheer habit while it was already in automatic mode. So I ended up hitting a news junction and it was probably the worst story ever, like, and 17 die in a car bomb. And at the same time, I was playing Pharrell Williams because I'm happy to... <laughs> da, 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 da. Oh, and no. I couldn't... I couldn't stop it. I didn't have the knowledge to stop it. I didn't know what was going on. And so Pharrell played through all the negative news. And I thought oh, I was going to get fired. No. But you didn't. Nah, I survived. Oh my word. Yeah, that, that, is, that is a shocker as things go. But hey, you got to learn on the job. You do. And, and they said, they, everyone said, you'll never do that again. And I didn't. So I think it's one of those like moments where everyone's done it. And you have to almost, on that job, you have to make the most embarrassing mistakes. And unfortunately, you know, your name's attached to it. Everyone thinks, everyone's going to always presume it's you that's done something stupid, but you do only do the mistake once and then it's a new mistake next time. 
So with part of doing radio as well, you, you've obviously, oh God, I can't even think about how many people that you've interviewed basically now and how many things that you've hosted. But you re- most recently, as you said, you did the Jingle Bell Ball, which was probably a bucket list moment. 100%. That's pretty cool. How did you find the first experience? Did it live up to your expectations or did it surpass them? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've never seen or been part of something of that scale. I'd never even been and watched a ball. Even when I worked at Hart, you just couldn't get tickets. It was like gold dust and Hart and Capital are in the same building. We're all part of the same company. Um, and it didn't matter. Those tickets are impossible to get. So to go from never even watching it to now hosting it, it was just like a dream come true, really. And the scale of it, the amount of artists backstage was just as crazy as you would. I don't know if you ever remember that opening montage in in a, um, in a Austin Powers movie where... Oh, I love it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Where you've got Britney walking past and then Tom Cruise is parachuting in. And there's a, yeah, it was like that. Ladies and gentlemen, Quincy Jones. It literally was everything everything was going off and everyone was famous and and the even the punters that were walking past you you know it was like the beckhams or it was um you know peter crouch or whatever and, and they're just mingling they're just as fan girly and fanboy as the rest of them yeah you know hoping to see ed sheeran or hoping to bump into bieber and that vibe was mad okay you've you you've stolen my next question did you was the the beebs was there okay what was he like? Did you speak to him? No, he oh, is, gutting. he is just, um, he's a movement. He's, um, he's like an apparition. Oh, I, really? I think he does exist. I'm sure he wasn't a hologram, but I can't confirm nor deny. So you didn't, didn't see him other than on stage? Him. Really? No. Wow. Didn't get anywhere near him. He was, he refused to have any of, um, he had like his own security, everything he had separate. Um, and he literally, you know, as far as I know, sort of flew in. Actually, no, he didn't fly straight back out because I know he spent a few days in London, but he was elusive and he didn't do interviews and he didn't let people in his, in his dressing room. So it was very showbiz. I, was I kind of like it in a weird way. I, it's, quite, it's quite cool. It just shows you are untouchable. Yeah. Uh, I was gutted that Harry Styles wasn't there, though. I mean, that's, that's the bucket list. Same. Same, and I'm hoping that you know we've got we've got a summertime ball coming. Who knows? Well, um, well I hear that that's when his tour's going to be. So you know, fingers crossed. If we can time it well with when he's doing the UK, we might be lucky. What's the of recent times? When's the last time that you were starstruck? If it still happens, it does happen, but sometimes it's the context. You don't always feel a starstruck when they're coming into the studio because you're in like a comfort zone mm. and you know that you're here to interview them. Sometimes it's it's when you someone catches you off guard. What, you're like picking um, up your sausages at the butcher. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's so weird. I'm just trying to think. I remember like a moment I always talk about and it's so mad when I think I've met so many people. But I was interviewing um, um, Rowan Atkinson as in Mr. Bean. Yeah. He was coming in to talk about a movie. I think it was Paddington or something, but he was in with this other actor and the other actor was stuck in traffic. So it was me and, and Rowan Atkinson just sat in the studio and it was a little bit awkward because we couldn't really get going and started. And I was trying to make a bit of small talk and I just suddenly was like, do you want a cup of tea? And he went, oh, oh gosh, I would love one. And I was like, how do you like it? And so I ended up just coming out of this studio 
before it even started, I'm just going to make Mr. Bean a cup of tea. And it was like such a nice moment. I thought, while I was there, oh, the other actor was Ben. Oh, ben Whishaw? Yes, yeah. And while I was in the kitchen, I thought, you know what? Everyone likes a cup of tea. I'll make him one in case he comes in and he's desperate. So I come back with these cups of tea. And as I do, Ben comes in all flustered. And I went, oh, Ben, I've made you a cup of tea. And he was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and, and it was like the nicest moment uh, where we were all just having a cup of tea. And we just spent a few minutes just drinking that before we started. And it was kind of a funny, surreal moment. But, yeah, simple. That's that's good. I like that. So talking of all this as well, given, given the kind of exposure that the show business has, it gives you the opportunity to have another platform in social media. And as you said, you were using that beforehand. How conscious are you of what you post and what you show to your followers? How, like, because you have a you have a kind of a responsibility as such. I mean, yeah, I know that there yeah. are bigger people, you know, like whatever Justin Bieber posts is slightly different to what you post, but still you still have that responsibility. Yeah, and I've always felt it. And I've always tried. I mean, you can't always get it right. I've always tried to stay out of politics. I've tried to stay out of anything that's too controversial. But at the same time, you, you, can't, you can't have a following and you can't have respect if you don't let people know who you are and what you stand for. And sometimes, you know, my, in general, a lot of my stuff is very lighthearted and silly. Every now and then, I think I've got to show, I've got to stand up for something here or I need to show my followers that I care or that this isn't good enough or whatever it is. Um, and as, especially since doing Capital, I've got such a younger, a young sort of teenage girl audience that I feel really responsible for. And I, I just want to always give them the right kind of motivation and, and be a good role model. And I think some people go, well, I'm not, a, you know, I don't feel any pressure to be a role model. I'm doing whatever I do. I think I've always felt like I need to be a good role model. And so like I say, you'll never get it right all the time. We're only human, but I try to pick and choose the right jobs and I try and I'm trying to keep like a level of like, look, you don't have to do X, Y, and Z to get here. Or you, you know, this is, this is going to take you longer. It's going to be a tough route, but you can do, you can get to your job without, you know, stepping over anybody and, and being nice to people and respectful and, and people getting your respect. And that's always been so important. I mean, you're hugely liked in the media anyway, but um, do you experience trolls? And have you experienced that kind of thing? Or are you actually quite good at ignoring that kind of stuff? I feel like I'm pretty good at it. And I'm so lucky that most of it is positive. But I think that's because I haven't done anything massively exposing. Like, I think the second, if I did a big reality show or or something like that, where you're suddenly going, hey, because that's almost a license, I think, to people watching going, well, you've gone on this show that's mm. um, been broadcast to millions of people. So you're saying you don't mind, you know, you want to be judged. And so I think... Well, they feel like they know you, now. don't they? Yeah. Yeah, they do. And they also feel like it's fair game because you're the one, in theory, going on this show to be more famous. So they're going, well, fair enough. We're going to judge you now. So, I, you know, that's always a scary thing I'm, I'm worried about because it's a strange job. It's almost like the more successful you get in your job, in a way, the, the side effect is fame, which I do see as a side effect because that's where you lose just your normal life. And it's that's you, almost what I've never really wanted in a weird way. But of course, you have to have it if you're good at your job. And you lose touch with reality, exactly as you say. 
with another part of the social media side of things, and I always have to ask this to some people because I just find it entertaining, is the old requests section on your Instagram folder. (laughs) How often, I know you're in a very happy and loving relationship, but do you ever get any blue tickers sliding in there? Do you know what? Again, I don't think so. Let me have a look in there a little bit. Come on. Have a little look right now. I'm just expecting like John know. Terry or Wayne Rooney or something. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so funny if I actually find it. That section is the funniest bit. All requests. Let me go. To What's the funniest questions. thing that you can remember from something like that? Or, you know, any requests in your, in your messages or like any appearances? Do you get wedding invitations? Do you know what? I get all sorts. I get, yeah, like people saying, can you DJ at my party or... Um, can you come on my hen do and I love I, I love all that like that's wicked and they're the kind of I feel like I'm lucky that at the moment I've got a really banging set of followers where they're funny and they join in and they're just like they're they're smarter than you they're wittier than you and um, if I ever do something that like you know caption this or do that they're so good so uh, my inbox is pretty positive I mean obviously you get a few creeps I've had someone for the last 10 years wanting to gunge me. And the worst thing is, recently I went on kids' telly and I got gunged. And yeah, I feel yeah. like I feel like I didn't want him to win. He has. Maybe he was the producer. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> so you, so wor- yeah, you get the weirdo and you do get the weirdo. Yeah, well, that exactly. That comes with it. But you, So you work exceptionally hard. What I need to know then is... How do you switch off and give yourself downtime? Because you want to always aim for the next project, what is going well, but you also have to have that support bubble around you and actually that touch of reality. What do you do to stay in reality and be with your friends and family? I'm pretty low key as in what I actually like doing is so bog. Like I like going around TK Maxx and buying endless candles and I like... um, like doing anything around the house. I like cleaning. I like, I like just having a very mundane side life because I don't sort of, it's almost like my work ticks so many boxes with excitement and stuff, but actually I'm, I'm so happy just watching reruns of Gavin and Stacey and eating a KFC. And, um, that's where I get my love. I love a dog sit for my neighbor. I, um, like I'm a bit of a weirdo in the way that I don't really have a hobby and I blame it on, just this drive my entire life to try and get to where I am now. I sort of sacrificed everything else. And I sort of, sometimes now I get asked, you know, what do you do in your spare time? What's your hobby? And I think, God, I don't really have one because what probably would have been my hobby is now my job. And just switching off is a hobby, I'm sure. Like it is everyone really needs some downtime. To. Otherwise you'll just get burnout. Well, yeah, and it drives my boyfriend mad. He's like, oh, stop filming everything. Because if I see, like, I'll just see, like, a pigeon doing something weird in the road, and the next thing, he's turned around, and I'm, like, halfway down the street, still filming this pigeon. And he's like, what are you doing? (laughs) Just put the phone down. So I never really switch off from trying to film funny things, take good photos. Like, I love all that. Um, But I do try to put my phone down a bit more. On a side note, I think Aldi is absolutely top-notch for candles. Aldi is amazing for candles. Yeah. Aldi's one of my favourite shops. Love oh, it. Oh, God, I love it. So love fun it. to just go in there and you just go, wow. <laughs> they come up with so much stuff. Their candle is like the Joe Malone one, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, love uh, their candles. Okay, so as we unwind, uh, there's a question that I ask every guest that comes onto the podcast, and that is, what does the word headstrong mean to you? 
Oh, wow. Headstrong. Headstrong means to me that you back yourself. Like, I don't think being headstrong means you have to bulldoze over other people. I don't think you ever have to do something at someone else's expense. Headstrong to me is like trusting your gut, knowing that you can do something, backing yourself all the way, and sort of never really giving up, even when it gets really tough. Are you headstrong? Yeah, I I definitely am, because I know that there's been so many times when I could have quit. So I, I, I know that I have something in me that gets triggered all the time to go, come on. So just having that mental resilience to power through. Yeah, or, or somewhere in my brain, there's like a little hype man going, go on, you can do it. <laughs> and, it oh. and it just keeps me going all the time. Honestly, I've really enjoyed ch- talking to you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, I will speak to you soon. And that's it for this episode of Headstrong. Thank you so much to Sham for coming on and thank you to Epilogue as well for sorting out the episode. I really enjoyed having a chat and I love talking to people with radio. I think their voices are amazing. So this episode was an absolute joy to listen to. Thank you to you, the listener as well, for tuning in week in and week out. Or if this was your first time, feel free to hit subscribe and rate and leave a review for this podcast because every little helps. There will be another episode next week with James Haskell. Thank you so much. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.